0: Oh, don't tell me I muted. Um, hello, uh, everyone. My name is Kean Prendiville. I'm one of the producers of Rupture Radio, and will be the host for this special trial run of a new explainer series we're thinking of doing. Um, this week we have Paul Murphy TD uh, uh, in to talk to us about what is zero COVID. Um, yeah, uh, for those who don't know, uh, Rupture Radio is a weekly podcast looking at news. Politics uh, and culture from a socialist perspective. You can get our podcast in all podcast apps or listen on Spotify. Um, And occasionally we do live shows like this. Uh, We have a couple of different programmes or formats on the podcast, including our panel episodes, our At The Roots uh, interview series. And we've been thinking about ideas for new series, including this idea for an explainer series, where we take a policy, a topic or a story and try to break it down. Um, So this is our our first go at that. so, So bear with me. Uh, we're also trying to do it live Uh, um, so uh, do let us know uh, if there's something uh, uh, if there's any feedback and let us know if there's other topics you'd like to see us do an explainer episode on. Um, so the plan here is that Paul will join us now in a second and we'll go through some of the most frequently asked questions about what is zero COVID uh, and then I'll ask him some questions sent in already by our podcast patrons on Patreon, uh, um, patreon.com forward slash rupture radio um, whose support makes this podcast possible and a few from the chat. So if you have a question, post it into the chat um, and hopefully we'll get to it. We, we can't get to them all uh, but we do. if we don't get to it, we do do a monthly Q and A bonus episode for our Patreons. So if you sign up uh, um, to support the podcast at patreon.com for slash Rupture Radio and ask your question there, we'll we'll definitely make sure to get to it in our, our next Q and A. Um, but that's that for now. I hope my mic was on for all of that, and I'll bring in Paul. Um, hey Paul, hello, how are things?
1: Hello Kim and hello Waters.
0: <laughs> I, I I could be heard through all out that all that could I? Yeah, you, I could hear you anyway. <laughs> Oh, thank God. <laughs> I got a notification just before I went live saying there's a problem with your mic. And I was like, oh, no. Anyway, so uh, um, so we're here to talk about zero COVID. So the first question, I suppose, is like, what does zero COVID mean? Is that, me- is that about zero cases trying to completely de- destroy and get rid of the virus? Or what-, what does the phrase zero COVID even mean?
1: Yeah, I think that there's a lot of deliberate misinformation, including well, particularly from the government about zero COVID to try to undermine the idea that there can be an alternative strategy and that alternative strategy can get us out of the rolling lockdowns that we've seen and that are such a nightmare for for people. Um, So what zero COVID is about is about getting to zero community transmission. Um, And what community transmission, it essentially means unexplained cases. Um, I was at a meeting the other day with the... um, the, the scientific advisory group, um, the zero people who are scientists who are pushing zero COVID. Um, and they explained it very well as mystery cases. We don't want to have any mystery cases. Um, so when there is an outbreak in workplaces or in a home, and we track that down and isolate people and know where the cases are coming from, that's that's one thing. If, if all the cases were like that, we could stay on top of them. But community transmission is when COVID becomes so widespread that people are catching the virus and we don't know where they got it. It means it's widely circulating in the community, um, and that's where the need for kind of lockdowns uh, comes in. So zero COVID is about reaching zero community transmission. Um, It doesn't mean that we won't have uh, cases, and we certainly can't guarantee that we won't have cases. Those countries that have pursued zero COVID policies will still have the odd case, but it means you'll very quickly be able to identify them and to support people uh, affected uh, by them um, and to to make sure that it doesn't spread uh, throughout the community. Um, there's a good example given by scientists who are in favour of zero COVID, which is to compare it to a zero fire policy. You know, We, we have a zero fire policy in this country. Um, it doesn't mean we never have fires, but it means we have the ambition of eliminating fires when they start. Um, so if you have a fire in your house, um, you don't just like get the fire brigade to come out until it's down to its embers the fire brigade sits on the house and like douses it with water and whatever else they need to do to get rid of the fire entirely. Um, whereas what we have been doing with the government's living with COVID strategy is the equivalent of trying to live with fire. And so therefore, you get the, the the fire down from burning your whole house to only burning a room or half a room or whatever. And you think, well, that's down to manageable levels now. And then you pull the fire brigade back. And then inevitably, of course, it goes back throughout your whole house, goes back throughout uh, the community. Um, so that... that effectively, I think, sums up, um, you know, we, we know that fires can still occur, um, but we have systems in place to jump on uh, on those fires and to get rid of them. That, that basically is what a zero COVID approach is.
0: And... That kind of approach has been adopted elsewhere. How, how has it worked in, in other countries?
1: Yeah. I mean, one interesting thing, I think, recently when this being asked is people say zero Covid can't be done in Ireland because Europe is the epicentre of the virus. But Europe wasn't the epicentre of the virus. It was Asia that was the epicentre of the virus. That's where it started and that's where it first um, spread through a, a series of different Asian countries. And um, A whole number of countries, New Zealand, South South Korea, Taiwan, Vietnam, Australia, have adopted different variations of a zero COVID or elimination strategy. Um, It quite possibly reflects their previous experience with dealing with the the SARS virus. um, And it has been very effective. Um, After their first wave, they managed to get community transmission down to zero and to keep it there. Um, again, it doesn't mean that they never have cases, I mean, the other day, um, maybe a week ago or so, there was a number of two or three cases in Australia and it was like, you know, a big news story, they had cases in Australia. Um, but they're able to, when those cases arise, they're able to to know, okay, we have two cases here or a case here or whatever, and they're able to properly trace it. Um, to go backwards in time to work out where the people got it, to follow up all of contacts, all the stuff that doesn't happen in Ireland. They're able to reach out to all those who have been in contact with anyone who could have had it, get them to isolate and get them to be tested. And in that way, they prevent COVID re-spreading throughout the community in this kind of mystery transmission uh, way. And it has been successful. It means people have been able to continue to live you know normal lives i'm sure people have seen on social media the picture of you know tens of thousands of people at rugby games people at concerts people out socializing in pubs and restaurants the kind of things that people in ireland would love to be able to do now but it's simply too dangerous uh, for them and for the wider community to be to be doing um, and that can be achieved um but it has to be achieved on the basis of abandoning the government's living with COVID strategy, which is a strategy of rolling lockdowns. That, let's be clear, that's, that's all it is. Um, and instead going for this other approach of trying to get rid of community transmission.
0: And, and so concretely, what would it actually mean? If we adopt a zero COVID strategy tomorrow, what would be different?
1: Yeah, I think there's three key things um, that I think need to be done now. Um, the first, and the government continues to bungle this, is to ban non-essential travel into the country and to have mandatory quarantine for those uh, arriving. Um, And the reason for that is we want to prevent bringing new cases in and in particular, we want to prevent bringing in new variants of uh, coronavirus, um, which may spread more, even more rapidly than the British variant, which is currently dominant at the moment. And um, in a fire analogy, that is ensuring that a new fire doesn't start up or a multiple new fires don't start up. Um, in a way, I, I wonder... Sometimes the way some people speak about zero COVID, some of the politicians who are kind of late converts to zero COVID, speak about zero COVID as if all there is to zero COVID is mandatory quarantine. But mandatory quarantine on by itself is also not zero COVID, because COVID is currently circulating in the community now in an uncontrolled way. There's lots of mystery transmission uh, happening. So mandatory quarantine by itself wouldn't be enough. It would stop new cases coming in, but there's enough cases circulating currently that, COVID would continue um, up until the point that that everyone was was vaccinated. Um, So on top of that, um, there's two other key things I'd say that need to be done right now, is we need to tackle the companies that are flouting the rules in relation to the COVID. The more effective this lockdown is, the shorter it can be. And it is incredible that, you know, almost one year into the pandemic, the companies are widely flouting the rules that are in place um, with no consequence. There is no authority set up to enforce the rules. There's no way that the companies can be fined. Um, So, for example, if if you watch a Neffet press uh, briefing, you will see every single time they make a big play of saying, and correctly, people should be working from home. You know, if you don't have to leave your house for work, then don't be. But... It's clear that, like, traffic levels, say in Dublin, in the first lockdown fell by two-thirds. Now they're only down by slightly more than one-third. And that is overwhelmingly because people are travelling to and from work. There's nowhere else for people to be travelling to and from. And people aren't going out socialising, clearly. And that isn't because the employees want to be at work and want to be putting themselves in danger. It's because companies are making the workers come into work. Um, so there's an example that I spoke about in the doll this week um, on post insurance. Someone contacted me who works there and um, who said they were allowed to work from home in the first lockdown. And in this lockdown, they've been forced to come into to work. Um, but we wrote to the, the Health and Safety Authority about it, um, and they said it's a discretionary matter for the employer. They don't have power. So we think the HSA, the union should be empowered to inspect workplaces to see if are they essential, um, to see are they allowing workers to work from home and to um and to find employers which aren't allowing that to, to happen. I mean another example, like in many ways it feels like a groundhog day with the the virus spreading in the meat plants uh, again, with bosses cutting corners, putting workers at risk, the vast majority of workers not being entitled to um, sick pay. And so we think there should be elected workplace health and safety committees running the factory floor, ensuring it's safe for their uh, workers. That in the In the fire analogy, that's actually putting out the fire and fireproofing things. And then the third thing that I think is absolutely essential is that we have to resist the drums of business lobbying, when they begin again um, in the run up to March, saying we now need to reopen, uh, we need to reopen the pubs and the restaurants, etc, etc. That's the, the pressure which has all along pushed the government parties and the vast majority of the opposition, unfortunately, to go along. If, if we reopen prematurely um, for short-term profit of a f- small number of companies, we will throw away all of the sacrifice that people have made. I mean, we're going to have three months of lockdown now for being open for three weeks for pubs and restaurants in the run-up to uh, Christmas. Um, and that's because they had said, even back then, we want to get back to, we're down to 100 cases a day, which is, is not enough. And they only brought it down to 300 cases a day, and then it flared up from there extremely, extremely uh, rapidly. Meal Martin, just a couple of weeks ago, was saying, well, we need to bring it down to 200 cases a day. If they do that, well, then we're going to be back to lockdown, lockdown number four and possibly lockdown number five until everybody, before everybody is uh, vaccinated. Um, So that's a disaster. So we have to say, you know, resist the the drum beats of of lobbying uh, until we have achieved, um, or resist the lobbying full stop. And don't um, give up on going after the virus and don't give up on the lockdown. Until we've managed to eliminate community transmission, which can be done if we have an effective lockdown as in stop companies flouting the rules in only a couple more weeks than the the government is currently planning,
0: is that not all for nothing if there's still the open border with the north? That's the argument that tends to be put from the government is that, well, look, Ireland is in New Zealand. we have a border with Northern Ireland, uh, um, and therefore this would be grand. Maybe we could do this if we were New Zealand or or or, di- or didn't have uh, the border with the North, where we do, and therefore it's it's all for nothing. How would you respond to that? Um?
1: Yeah, so th- this is this is really the main argument of the government. Um, they they don't mention that Vietnam has multiple borders, uh, for example, um, but they they hide behind the border to say we can't do anything about it. Um, a couple of things I'd say in response to that. One is the government has not tried to get the North, um, the Northern Executive, to agree a common zero-COVID strategy across the island. There's been no attempt to do so. Thomas Pringle raised this in the doll. He he made a Freedom of, freedom of Information request for all the information related to requesting zero-COVID, and there's absolutely nothing. So the government has hid behind this when they themselves have not been uh, in favour of it. Um, the second point is that, so it, it is true that a zero COVID strategy will work better if, um, if it's implemented on an all island basis. That, that's true. So we should, we should fight for that. We should push for that. Um, I know people for profit in the north with Jerry Carroll in the assembly is pushing for, for example, a zero COVID policy to be adopted in the north. Um, but it is wrong to say that an elimination strategy or a zero COVID strategy cannot be implemented unless we have full agreement and cooperation with the North. That's not true. So even if we had an all-Ireland strategy, even in those circumstances, you would operate like a zonal strategy um, based on counties or more appropriately kind of commuter areas. um, And you would have borders effectively between each of those areas. So on an all-Ireland basis, that's how you'd have it. Or if you have it just in the south, that's how you'd have it. Um, And basically what that's about is having... It's, it's like, again, in the fire analogy, it's having fire detectors in each separate room to see where the fire is is currently. So you would say, for example, Dublin and surrounding commuting counties would be one uh, area. Cork, similarly. Um, and within each of those counties, you would restrict travel between the county zones. That's what happens, for example, in, in Australia, where they operate internal borders like this. Um, you would seek to eliminate community transmission in each local area. Uh, you have kind of a, a green, orange, red system. So red when it's out of control, lots of mystery transmission or community transmission. Orange when you're beginning to get it under control. And green when you've achieved zero community transmission. Um, so you would have all these, these, these you know, you deal with these separate zones. You work uh, with in, like properly resourced public health teams in each zone, tracking down the virus and so on, and you work to bring each area into green. Once you have an area that is green, that has you know no community transmission taking place over a period of time, well then you can link a number of green areas um, together and you could basically go like that until the whole of the island on an all-Ireland basis or the whole of the south on a southern basis has gone green uh, together in terms of having um, zero community transmission. So, it really is just an excuse by the government that they're hiding behind about the the border, and because one, they haven't tried, they really haven't tried to get common action. But two, even if we don't have agreement with the north, it doesn't prevent us actually implementing um, a zero COVID uh, strategy.
0: Okay, so you, you said there, um, the property resourced public health mm-hmm. teams then in each area, but so what would Resources-wise, or, so if this was a strategy, if they went down this road, um, taking these actions, uh, um, this green zone strategy and all that, but what other resources would they need to put in place? What other measures would they need to to, to, to support, to provide, to actually make this workable? What's the accompanying measures, I suppose?
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, w- one of the interesting things in whenever Neffet came out and kind of said they didn't agree with a zero COVID strategy. If people watch Philip Nolan, he said, you know, in order to do this, you know, you need to have a a very well resourced public health team. And basically we don't have that. The public health resources in this country are worse now than they were one year ago, incredibly. but the, that's precisely the point, it's like that's a political issue. We're absolutely in favour of having those property resource public health teams. I mean, for example, one of the things that you would do and happens in other countries is that you would have, um, you can monitor the sewage in different areas for COVID. And therefore you can say, oh, in this area there's an incidence of, of COVID and now we're going we're gonna, to like zoom in on it and find out exactly where it is from this, like, larger pool uh, of, of where sewage is coming out effectively. Um, that That's what you can do when you have these properly resourced teams. Or also the other thing that you can do is um, you can properly track and trace. I mean, the, you know, often you'll hear pubs and restaurants or pubs and restaurant lobbyists, let's say, um, saying there's there's no proven cases from pubs and restaurants in Ireland. And the reason is because they're not actually tracing cases back to find out where they came from because they don't have the resources uh, to do it. So we need to invest in our public health system to be able to to do that. Other measures that I think are absolutely vital is um, like the um, nurses and midwives union, the INMO, has called for, we need to requisition the private hospitals. Um, It is outrageous that there are private, for-profit hospitals, including those hospitals owned by Larry Goodman and Dennis O'Brien, continuing to operate on a for-profit basis in this state right now when we have a pandemic that threatens, you know, thousands and thousands of lives. Um, We need to ensure that there isn't profiteering. We need to requisition those private hospitals, bring them into the public health system to enable us to have the capacity to deal with um, the virus. Um, A second crucial thing that we need is a people's vaccine. Um, So people will have seen that um, the, uh, you know, the whole vaccine rollout is. I mean, it's it's much lower slower than the government aspirations. And Stephen Donnelly has made a point of he's not really talking about targets, they're more aspirations, you know? Because he, he wants to string people along with aspirations that aren't going to be met, to avoid the reality that his strategy is multiple lockdowns before everybody is, is vaccinated. So instead well and, and the reason that arises is because after receiving over €5 billion Euros of public funds, these private pharmaceutical companies are in charge and they're deciding who gets it, basically on a for-profit uh, basis. In some cases, kind of a delayed for-profit uh, basis under the agreements they've done, but it's owned by private companies. And so the you know pharmaceutical resources that exist around the world... Um, in terms of capacity produce generic drugs are not being mobilized to produce the vaccine because right now all of the vaccines are under intellectual property and patent law and that means that you can't get like the kind of recipe for the astrazeneca vaccine or any of the other vaccines and go and produce it in a publicly owned um, manufacturing facility um, and so the people's vaccine idea is that obviously that is like you know, not right. Um, and just to be clear, how immoral it is. By the end of this year, nine out of ten people in the poorest countries in the world will not have been vaccinated. By twenty twenty three, many people in the world will not be vaccinated, and it's because they're poorer. the The richer countries are stockpiling whatever vaccines are available. So it's completely immoral, and um, but it's also really, really dangerous. Um, and. Uh, Because each time the the coronavirus jumps from one person to another, there's a chance of a a mutation and having extra another variant of the virus, a more dangerous variant of the virus, one that potentially um, the vaccine may not be effective uh, against. So we need a people's vaccine, which means saying, no, we don't accept your intellectual property rights over these things. And it means then saying we can produce uh, vaccines much faster with public ownership, generic production. both in the lesser developed countries, but also um, in in countries like Ireland, where we have a massive pharmaceutical uh, industry.
0: Zero COVID wouldn't eliminate it overnight. We'd still let it still take a number of weeks. The vaccine, even with people's vaccine, uh, um, that'll still that won't eliminate it by tomorrow. So we'll at the very least, you're going to be talking about a number of weeks more of this lockdown uh, um, and of people struggling, people out of work. Um, People hurting, uh, 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 losing jobs, and all that. And what, um, like, what uh, people uh, fear in losing their home and all that kind of stuff. What, um, what kind of measures or what could be done to support people uh, um, through that? Or, or how do you make it that zero COVID isn't like a, another policy, yet another policy paid for out of the pockets and out of living standards of ordinary people?
1: Yeah, I think I think something really important to know, which is very. It's very much at variance with people's experience, their own experience, um, because most people have found you know, COVID extremely hard um, in terms of their mental health um, and in terms of their income. It's been a difficult time for the vast majority of people. But it's worth noting that billionaires have gotten richer throughout the last year. Uh, not just a little bit richer, but billionaires just in one year have increased their wealth by more than 25%, by more than, than a quarter, right? So there's there's a lot of wealth in the world, and some people are getting extremely rich off of the back of COVID. So there are huge resources that exist. Um, We've put forward the idea, I wrote an article for the journal a few months ago about the case for a COVID tax, kind of a solidarity tax on um, the wealth and profits of the very high earners. And we outlined how in in Ireland such such a measure could raise over 25 uh, billion euros and kind of details that. Um, We think then that that money, those resources, should be used to support people to mean that we can go through this difficult time together without people feeling that sort of pain. So some of the measures that are needed is obviously um, full PUP. um, The full 350, at the very least, should be available for all who lose work as a consequence of of COVID. And we need a full evictions ban. Um, You know, the government kind of originally had the full evictions ban after saying it was illegal to have an evictions ban, unconstitutional. But since then, they've rolled back to kind of half of an evictions ban that isn't very effective. And in the past, I, I raised cases in the doll where people were being evicted in reality because of COVID, but because of the way the landlords were phrasing it, um, they were able to get away uh, with it. So we need a full evictions ban uh, back in place. Um, we need... Um, uh, sick pay, full sick pay leave, full sick pay rights for all uh, workers. For example, I gave you the example of the the meat plant workers who don't have any right to sick pay. Um, A bill we um, launched this week is uh, support uh, in terms of childcare leave. So right now there's people who have, you know, schools are closed, kids are at home, they can't work, they used up all their annual leave uh, last year, that people should be entitled. Instead of the department, the government recommends to people, you should go on the PUP, you should become unemployed, you should lose your connection with your employer. Um, We say that people should have a right um, to to childcare leave as a consequence of that because they 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 need it because of covid. So we need to make sure that all those measures are in place to protect people's uh, incomes and to support um small businesses which are genuinely in, in crisis right now. We should make sure that they are also supported um to avoid this hitting people uh, hard.
0: Okay, and then just one last question from me and then I'll take some questions to people put into the chat. Uh, um assuming that by this stage have we've convinced people that are watching and that are listening, um, what can they do to support the, the fight for a zero COVID policy with socialist policies? You know, or what what can be done? What, how can we make this actually happen? Yeah, I mean, one thing I'd say is that,
1: like, we have momentum on this. Uh, for a long time it was the socialist left, it was Rise and People For Profit who were pushing the drum together with the ISAG for zero COVID. Um, Now the ideas of Zero Covid are so broadly popular that the likes of the Labour Party, who went along with every single one of the government's decisions to reopen, and those decisions are responsible for thousands of, a thousand deaths, for example, in the last month, they are now basically also in favour of many of the measures that make up um, Zero Covid, um, certainly without the the socialist policies bit. Um, So we have momentum and we need a people power campaign to drive that through and put pressure on the government. Um, so a few different things. One, um, we've put forward a motion, Solidarity People Before Profit, um, outlining the kind of things that I've set out uh, today. We've said we're going to put that forward in the Dáil at our next possible opportunity, which unfortunately isn't until March. Um, and we need all of the opposition in particular to support that. Um, so Sinn Féin, for example, last year, they went along with many of the government's mistaken decisions. They went along with the reopening in December. Um, they went along with ignoring the advice to go to level five in October. Um, they unfortunately previously went along with many of the government's bad decisions. Now, now they're saying, oh, no, we, we, we support effort. we support the public health advice, we support many of the measures in zero COVID. But we need to say to them, and I think you know, ask them, and I know Richard Boy Barrett had a meeting with Mary Lou McDonald today about this, to can you commit to zero COVID? If you commit to zero COVID and then you'd have us On the socialist left, the Social Democrats, who came second, in the sense that they were, in December, they kind of came on board zero COVID, or at the start of this year, the start of January, actually. The Labour Party and Sinn Féin would all be pushing, and a lot of pressure will be on the government. But also then grassroots campaigning. So there's a trade unionists for a zero COVID petition, um, which is excellent. Um, We think there should be a campaign, people should sign that, obviously, share it, but there should be a campaign in the unions. This is a union workers' rights issue. It is workers who are on the front line of facing the dangers of uh, COVID and so the trade union should adopt a position and put pressure for uh, a zero COVID strategy. And there's also a great campaign called the We Can Be Zero campaign which is launched in connection with the ISAG. It's like a, you know, grassroots campaign connected with the scientists who are advocating for zero COVID and they, people should go on their website, they have a video. There was an excellent launch meeting on, Monday or Tuesday I think it was last Monday um, which was very good but it was very well attended well over 100 people uh, there and people should also seek to get involved in in that.
0: Okay so um, some of the questions uh, um, coming in from the uh, so first of all we had a couple of questions already in from our Patreon supporters supporters of the Rupture Radio podcast on, on Patreon so um, Jesse who I believe is here uh, uh, he commented earlier on that your uh, bookshelf game was on point, uh, um, but he also asked, um, as as more parties de facto adopt uh, zero COVID strategies without the verbiage, um, what is the plan to impress uh, on the public that the only viable solution is the socialist policies to maintain social reproduction? So it's, so it's that same, like you were saying there, the SOC Dems and all those are now... Either su- uh, uh, supporting some of the policies, or even saying that they support zero COVID, um. But how can we push more to the fore the, the 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 socialist policies that you're talking about there?
1: Yeah, thanks a lot, Jesse. Thanks for supporting the podcast. Um, this bookshelf it's it's purely a cardboard cutout. None of these books are real. Um, uh, I mean, I I think the main way, like, I think I think in a way it suits some of the other parties to really focus on um the uh. The mandatory quarantine kind of issue, you know, because it doesn't it doesn't involve them in any kind of conflict with, like, well, with with kind of domestic business interests, for example, um, or it doesn't involve them saying, well, we need to, you know, resource supporting ordinary people, um, and I think we should focus on those things. Um, so, some, it, it, I think it is, you know, it, it is effectively. Or certainly close to common sense for people, that private pro- private hospitals should not be profiteering during the crisis. That that is not our, you know, it's not beyond people's understanding to to have that. And I think pushing that idea, and particularly because the nurses excuse me, and Midwives Union are in favour of it. It's, it's very strong demand. So saying requisition the private hospitals, bring them into a public health service. And of course, we're saying that's not just temporary. That's not just now. Um, we're saying keep that up as part of building an Irish National Health Service um, into uh, the, the future. And I think a second thing that's also very key is, is the people's vaccine uh, demand. Um, you know, th- that cuts across private property rights. It's saying no, that y- you're right under capitalism to make as much money as you can from your vaccine. We don't accept that. We say that society's right not to have, you know, tens of thousands of unnecessary deaths or more from COVID, which could be avoided, um, comes above your supposed right uh, to, to profit. So that's very strong, I think. Um, and then I think the key thing about, about supporting people, because I think, you know, sometimes when you see, um, when you put something up about zero COVID, people online, it's like a mix of people who are anti zero COVID. You know, some people are like influenced by the far right and so on and are far down that train. But there are other people who say, you know, you know if, if you're a taxi driver, there's like many industries that really aren't getting the support that they need. Um, and you say, if zero, does zero COVID mean more lockdown? And obviously we say, no, it doesn't. It means a lot less lockdown to happen this year. But the idea of like going after the virus, people say, I just can't afford that. Um, you know, it's too hard for me. And so to explain to people, no, we're talking about supporting people. and um, We're talking about putting the resources in there so people can get through these difficult times. Um, like, you know, zero COVID isn't all a walk in the park. Um, as in, you know, zero COVID at this stage at the start of February, the truth is that you, you definitely are talking, even if you go for a very effective lockdown, you are talking about at least another month of that, and that's hard for people. But people need to be supported in that and to explain uh, how that can be can be done as opposed to hiding behind that or from the point of view of the establishment parties kind of using that as a reason not to do what's necessary and then inflicting upon people in reality you know multiple um, unnecessary lockdowns.
0: Kevin another one of our Patreon supporters asks are there any parts of a zero COVID plan that would also be beneficial after COVID and so should be implemented anyway?
1: Yeah lots of it I suppose. Um, So the incorporation of the private hospitals into the public health system absolutely um to be honest the um the the like to do the people's vaccine thing right now you'd have to do a thing called you suspend an agreement which to the WTO agreement called TRIPS, um, and that's um, about intellectual property in pharmaceuticals. But to be honest, that, that shouldn't just be done now, that should be done just permanently, because the same logic applies to um, anti, say, retroviral drugs in terms of uh, AIDS. Uh, like, the whole... The way that the pharmaceutical industry is based is, is like completely irrational from the point of view of the majority of society. So the pharmaceutical companies spend more on advertising than they do on research. So instead, these, these should be in public ownership, under democratic um, control, operating in the interests of ordinary uh, people. Also, obviously, measures like the ban on, on evictions. But that should be permanent. And the childcare leave that we introduced this. Dead this week. Um, so, one element of it relates to COVID. So, it's COVID specific. So, you get the specific childcare leave on the basis of the schools being closed or your kids having to self isolate. But we also are in favour of into the future, and it's included in the bill, having childcare sick leave because this can happen outside of COVID times, where your child is sick, where you have to be at home, where you can't possibly work, and parents are faced and families are faced with a, a crisis situation. Um, so there's lots of things that are exactly part of those kind of um, measures that, that we absolutely think would would continue.
0: And one final question, this time from, from Christopher. Um, how can we build a social movement for zero covid in ireland if pressure from the populace is what is needed to get the government acting how can we mobilise in the special circumstances of the pandemic especially in ireland given the situation with the border on the island two different administrations and a divided society in the north
1: yeah um so i think it does definitely pose complications look if there wasn't if coronavirus wasn't what coronavirus is We'd be on the streets marching for zero COVID, you know, and you could have a big, big demonstration marching for zero COVID and public opinion could shift even quicker on it if you had mobilizations and people being uh, active. So it does present complications, no question about it. Um, I think it does place an increased significance of like online kind of campaigns, um, social media campaigns um, to build pressure, your online petitions, your emails to TDs, things like that. And um, But also things that help to demonstrate that are kind of like a virtual protest and organisation. I think, like, actually organising campaigning for zero COVID would make sense, even on a local basis. I think, for example, the the We Can Be Zero campaign is excellent. If if it's possible to have local We Can Be Zero groups to build pressure, for example, pressurising local politicians and things like that, I think we should look at organising that. Like, campaigning is really beginning now across Europe. Like, I was asked to write an article for... um, a kind of mass newspaper in Germany that's going out to loads of people talking about the need for zero Covid in, in Germany. And uh, We know in Britain Jeremy Corbyn's involved in a campaign for zero Covid, there's a campaign being launched in Scotland. This, this thing is developing momentum on a global uh, basis, um, including pushed by socialists with a socialist edge of socialist demands and so on. So we need to emphasise that. Um, and I think particularly um, the point is made in terms of the North. Um, we. There needs to be campaigning in the North. I mean, the reality is, like, Sinn Féin has been able to kind of in the South say, oh, you know, the North won't do zero COVID, and that's a shame. But the reality is, Sinn Féin hasn't been pushing. Sinn Féin's part of the administration in the North, and there they haven't been pushing for zero COVID. So again, the same sort of things in the North um, need to be happening in terms of on-the-ground campaigning, in the trade unions, putting pressure on the politicians, uh, etc., to try and push for these measures.
0: Okay, we'll... We'll leave it there. So, as they say, um, uh, sorry for people that asked questions that we didn't get to. Um, uh, uh, yeah, uh, just to, to, to finish up there and say, look, thanks, thanks again to Paul for, for joining us. Thanks to everybody for, for joining the the, the, the the this online Q and A. If you enjoyed this, please do subscribe to Rupture Radio in your podcast app. Uh, um, I put some links into the chat there to where you can find it out and consider supporting us on Patreon. Uh, um, Uh, 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 there's a link there to patreon.com forward slash rupture radio which allows us to keep producing these kind of explainers uh, um, but also our regular um, news panels and at the roots uh, interview series Um, if you did uh, enjoy this and you have any ideas for other topics you'd like us to to deal with in the future please let us know and send us feedback um, as well Uh, okay that's that's all for now and goodbye